You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hello from Austria. Hello from the US. Welcome back to another episode of Fresh Hell, your favorite international podcast. I'm Johanna. And the sexy, smooth voice you just heard is Annie, and we never actually met in real life. That's correct. Other podcasts might say they're international because they cover cases from all over the world, but I think we're the only ones that are doing it from different continents, right? At least it's the only one from Austria-US collaboration. Well, there you go. If you just heard sort of a thud in the background, I haven't just killed someone. Opus is here, (laughs) and he's around. So if you hear any strange (laughs) noises, that's my 110-pound puppy. So anyway, we're not going to make any predictions for 2021, are we? Because we made a bunch last year, which we deeply regret. Yeah. But we're going to just keep fingers and toes crossed. Maybe this year we're going to finally be able to meet in 2021. Yes, because we desperately need photos of us together. (laughs) Right. Maybe with the Krampus. Yeah. Well, that's good. Let's see. So before we start with today's episode, we want to thank all of you for your amazing support. You really, you write the most lovely reviews and send us Mm. the nicest messages and you share our content with your friends and we really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much, really. And a special shout out goes to our newest Patreon members. So we want to say thank you to Jennifer... Trebon. I'm going to say Jennifer Trebon. Thank you very much. And Erin Corbelo. Thanks, Erin. Kiss Izzy from us. She has a dog named Izzy. She's a friend in real life. Thanks, Erin. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. And if you want to know how you can join our Patreon, listen until the end, and we will tell you all about it, how you can join, what kind of content you will find there, and so on. After our something good. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's dive right into today's episode. Quick warning for those of you who don't read the titles. Uh, Today, we're going to be discussing another familicide. I think this is the third we've covered, right? List and then in the Australia. Yeah. So the Crawford family. So this means that we are, of course, going to be talking about murdered children. And I know a lot of you are thinking, come on, you have familicide two weeks before Christmas. Well, this case, unfortunately, sadly, took place on Christmas. And this is what we do. So if you think this one might be difficult, you know, skip this one or maybe listen to it uh, in the new year. But today we want to tell you about the Lawson family murders. They took place on December 25th, 1929 in Germantown, North Carolina. One of the biggest sources for this case is the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas by Trudy J. Smith and M. Bruce Jones. And as always, we'll list sources in our Facebook group. All right. Here we go. It was 1911 when the 25-year-old sharecropper, Charles Lawson, mostly called Charlie by everyone who knew him, married the 19-year-old Fanny Mannering. Fanny was a very pretty young woman with dark hair, she was friendly and sweet, and it was clear to everyone that Charlie loved his wife very much. The two started their family in their hometown of Lawsonville, North Carolina. According to Wikipedia, Lawsonville is an unincorporated community in Stokes County, North Carolina, approximately 10 miles north-northwest of the county seat of Danbury on North Carolina State Highway 8. Apparently today, there are about 1,200 people who live in Lawsonville. So I guess that this town or unincorporated community 
whatever that means. I'm not really sure mm. as a foreigner. So that place was named after the Lawson family, right? Stuff like this always makes me think of the Waltons because they too had a village <laughs> and a whole mountain named after them. I love that show. I always binge watch it on my birthday while eating takeout in bed. Mm -hmm. It's the best. My question is, are there still many places named after families in the US? Because here that's not really common. Yeah. So are there still many places? Mm. You'll sometimes see it on a road. So you might take Johnson Road, for example. And then while you're driving down Johnson Road, you'll see other roads that are off of it, like Mary's Way or Bernard Circle or... Mm -hmm. You know, and in that case, it's clearly like a family owned a big plot of land and Mary got this parcel and that goes to her house and, you know, uh. and now it's all divided into smaller plots of land. I'm not sure how often it still happens, but I think there are probably still plenty of places here where there's room to still do that. The Dakotas come to mind. I think there's a lot of open space still in the middle of the country. But I think streets named for people are more common than entire towns, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty soon the Lawsons started their family and the first four children were born. On April 3rd, 1912, came Marie. On August 18th, 1913, James Arthur, who was often called Buck. On 10th of November, 1914, they welcomed William. And on the 10th of September, 1917, they welcomed Carrie. In 1918, the family of six packed up their mule-drawn carriage and followed Charlie's younger brothers, Marion and Elijah, who had relocated their families to Germantown, which was 21 miles north of Lawsonville. So Germantown was founded in 1790, and it is the oldest community in Stokes County, North Carolina. And as you might have guessed already because of the name, many German immigrants had settled in the area of Germantown. And that's the quite interesting part for me, at least. So these German immigrants had fought during the American Revolution which took place between 1765 and 1783, and half of them were Hessians who had fought for the British crown, and the other half had been fighting against the British crown, which must have led to interesting dynamics in the community after the revolution had ended, I think. So the Lawsons had moved to Germantown where once more they worked as sharecroppers, which basically means that they didn't own their land, but that they leased land to grow in this case tobacco on it, and they had to give a share of the harvest to the landowner. This was a way how poor farmers who couldn't afford to buy land could still make a living. Yeah, I mean, they could make a living, but rarely enough to break the cycle of poverty. Yeah, so the system of sharecropping has been known pretty much all over the world, from ancient Egypt to medieval Europe and post-Civil War US. It even has reappeared nowadays in some countries, for example in Ghana and Zimbabwe. So there have been sharecropping systems that were extremely unfair, for example in medieval Europe where according to some sources roughly 90% of the people were peasants and most of them couldn't own their own land, not only because they were poor, but also by law they couldn't own their own land and they had to give a huge percentage of their harvest over to the landowner. So often farmers would not have enough to even feed their families even though they pretty much worked seven days a week. In the US, sharecropping could mean several things, from extremely unfair contracts where the farmers had to give up most of their harvest or earnings, to a little bit more fair conditions where the farmers had to pay a fixed amount of money like a rent. And as you said, Annie, some sharecroppers could never break their, the cycle of poverty, even though they worked really hard. Sometimes it was almost another form of slavery. They just, they never stood a chance. 
Yep. While there were others who were lucky enough that they could save enough money to one day buy their own farm. Yeah, and the Lawsons were the luckier sort of sharecroppers because they did manage to save some money. But first, there was a tragedy. Little William died from pneumonia on November 14th, 1920, so only four days after his sixth birthday. During their time as sharecroppers, three more children were born. May 18th, 1922 was Maybelle's birthday. On 5th of April, 1925, James was born. And on the 18th of February, 1927, Raymond was born. And it was that year, in 1927, that the Lawsons finally had enough money saved up to purchase their own land. They bought a farm consisting of fertile fields and a 200-year-old run-down house, uh, log cabin style, on Brook Cove Road. Road, where they moved with their six children and their two beagles, Sam and Queen. Beagle! <laughs> uh, funny thing, when Jam came to live with us, many of my family members kept calling him Sam in the beginning <laughs> because it didn't make sense to them that a dog would be called Jam. It is a funny name. Yeah, that was the first thing Paul asked me, I think, was like, where did the name Jam come from? <laughs> and I was like, maybe it means something else in Austria? I don't... <laughs> <laughs> but today I see pets named Pancake or Muffins, so it seems, I think it's fine. It's a nice name. So yeah, they bought their 100-acre farm for $3,200, and they agreed to pay a rate of $500 per year to pay off their farm. The 2020 purchasing power of $3,200 would be around $47,800, so close to fifty grand. That's fine for such a farm, right? I mean, the house was, was not a lot, but 100 acres of fertile fields, that's good. Yeah. But yeah, it's hard to tell sometimes when they do the how much money would be in these days, because it's like, yeah. would it, is that really right? Because you couldn't buy 100 acres for $48,000. There's no way. But you guys get the idea. And so the Lawson family went to work immediately. Fanny and Marie scrubbed the house, and they tried to make it a cozy home, while Charlie and his oldest son, Arthur, began to fix everything that needed fixing, which was probably a lot. The house had a front room where Charlie and Fanny slept, an upstairs bedroom for the kids that could be reached over narrow stairs, and a lean-on kitchen. All in all, the hard work started to pay off for the Lawsons, and during their first year on the farm, they really did start to be better off. By the end of 1928, Fanny was once more pregnant after having suffered a miscarriage only shortly before, and on the 26th of August, 1929, their fourth daughter and eighth child, Mary Lou, was born. One day, I think it was still in 1927, while digging drainage for the barn, Charlie hurt his head with a pickaxe or a mattock. You might remember a mattock from our Hinterkaifeck episode, the Hinterkaifeckers. So, <laughs> sorry, it's, I'm still obsessed. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, so Charlie was working with the mattock, and he swung it, and I guess the tip of the mattock hit a wire, and it sort of ricocheted back and hit him in the forehead. And it was a really nasty wound, bleeding severely as head wounds kind of always do. Head wounds are tough, aren't they? Because the smallest yeah. wound, and it's like that last scene of Carrie. It's, it's a lot of vessels up there. Yeah. Yeah. So he went to the doctor, and the doctor's visit, though, he said, you know, it's actually not that deep, and it'll heal up just fine. And so pretty soon, he would be as good as new. Or would he? Yeah, because while many eyewitnesses later stated that Charles Lawson hadn't changed a bit after this head injury, there were others who in retrospect, swore that he had started to behave differently, like he would just simply, for example, jump up and walk away, even if you were mid-conversation, which is odd. And it seems he started to complain about headaches and insomnia more often, and the temper. 
the temper on this man. He would lose his temper now even more often than before. One day while working on the field, Charlie started an argument with Arthur and in his rage he took his whip and he meant to strike his son. Arthur now was already taller and stronger than his father and he yanked the whip from Charlie's hands and made it very clear that he will never be beaten again. And indeed, Arthur became the only one in the family who could overpower Charles whenever a new family fight ensued. Poor kid. Yeah, that's awful. So all throughout 1929, the fights grew more violent, loud words and yelling could be heard all the way to the neighboring farms, even though the neighbors could not make out the exact words. And Arthur had started to sleep in his clothes, so that he could be up any second if his father would start something in the middle of the night. Ugh. Can you imagine how stressful that must have been? No. Like to never feel safe at home? Well, especially if his father would start something in the middle of the night. Like it really, this seems extreme. But yeah, no, it seems incredibly stressful. I don't know how people come through situations like this, and they do all the time. Mm -hmm. They do all the time. It's amazing to me. So other witnesses later on reported that Charlie had yelled real threats at his family, you know, life-threatening things. And one time he even told a family friend that he wouldn't mind dying if he could only take his family with him. So yeah, something was very wrong in the Lawson home. Nevertheless, in December of 1929, roughly two weeks before Christmas, Charles D. Lawson had a surprise for his family. He told all of them they would be going into town, all of them together. So town, that meant Winston-Salem, which is a town 13 miles north of Germantown. Nowadays, Winston-Salem is the fifth most populated city in North Carolina with 246,000 inhabitants. And in 2012, it was named in the CBS Money Watch list of the top 10 places to retire in the US. Mm. It's interesting, right? You would think it's all Florida and I don't know. But here you go. Yeah. Winston-Salem. <laughs> In the 1920s, with a population of 48,000, Winston-Salem was the largest city in North Carolina, and we can imagine how exciting it must have been to go on a family outing there. It was rare enough that the hardworking people from farming communities could visit the bigger cities, but that the whole family would go there together was rather unusual, because most of the time, some members of the family would stay home to keep the fire burning, you know, or whatever, to get all the chores done. Yeah, of course. But that day, Charlie, Fanny and the seven children all would pile up on the family truck and off they drove. And what was the reason to take his whole family to town? Well, Charlie bought each of them new clothing and he took them to a photographer and had a family portrait taken. Yeah, and I think this shows that they were really doing okay financially. Mm -hmm. Not only being able to buy new clothes from a store for the whole family, you know, during a time when most clothes were homemade by the women of the family, but also that they had their photograph taken. And that the fact that they had done all of this didn't raise any suspicion, right, from, from the mother yeah. or any of the older children. Yeah, exactly. Because if you know you're tight on money or from the neighbors or anybody, because if you, if you take your whole family out to buy them new clothes in a store... Yeah, and you've spent all your money, that's going to be some red and flags. And you spent all your money and everybody would know that you're really having money troubles. Mm -hmm. Everybody would be like, well, look at this yeah, idiot exactly. spending all his money on new clothes. So they must have been doing okay. And we, we do have the photo. You'll find it easily when you Google the case. And of course, we're going to post in our Facebook group. I think many of the Lawsons had blue or light-colored eyes because it makes them look a little bit... Um, creepy is not the right word. Haunting? Maybe. Eerie. Eerie, yeah. We did discuss this a little bit when we did the first Victorian death trip episode about how often people with light-colored eyes were misidentified as post-mortem photography because light eyes and a flash are 
It's a disconcerting look, sort of. Mm -hmm. But in this photo, in the back row, standing is 16-year-old Arthur and then his sister, 17-year-old Marie, who is, I think, the most striking figure in the photo. She is gorgeous. Really? Yeah. I think Arthur, he was a really good-looking young man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Both of them. Marie just struck me, I think, because she's looking directly into the camera, and she looks fucking fed up, right? She just looks like try me, you know? And I find it interesting that next to her uh, is her father, Charlie, and then on the end, her mother, who looks like she's had a very hard 37 years, but you can see where Marie gets that bone structure from, and she's holding the baby. And then in front of them on the bench sit the four younger kids. I did find the positioning of the family, particularly the fact that the parents weren't centered between the two children, a little bit odd. And it's probably nothing, but it definitely seemed... It struck me. I know what you mean, because you would think in these old-timey photographies, it's usually the parents or the men. Yeah. If it's a wedding photo, yeah. they are sitting in the center, right? Exactly. They're the head of the household. Exactly. Yeah. The parents would be sitting and centered, surrounded by their kids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, the, they are all looking in different directions, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's just uh, Marie and another, I think it's Carrie. They're looking at the camera. Yeah, she's a cutie, Carrie. And then uh, Charlie is kind of smirking into space. Mm-hmm. It's a weird photo. It's, I mean, maybe just because we, we know what happens later. Yeah. We know what happened. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you, we'll post it. Well, I'm sure there'll be a big discussion about this in the Facebook group. So two days before Christmas, it had been snowing uh, the nights before, and it was going to be a white Christmas for North Carolina. Charlie got on one of his mules and made his way to the bank to withdraw a large amount of money. But going to now take a pause for a quick word from today's sponsor, Best Fiends. Annie, are you excited for the newest update of Best Fiends? Yes, I can't wait to find out which fiend is going to be added to the game. All the character designs are too cute, and I love to train them and have them fight the slugs. This game never gets boring with all the new levels that are added constantly and the updates that make the game even more fun and gives new fiends to play with. I know, and your phone doesn't even have to be connected to Wi-Fi or mobile internet. You can play Best Fiends offline anywhere you are. I play it whenever I need a 10-minute break from all the grisly topics we research. Well, I play it to relax and unwind before I go to bed in the evening. Nice. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Okay. So that Christmas morning, December 25th, 1929, it was a Wednesday. The day on the Lawson Farm started like every other day. Fanny and Charlie got up, they rekindled the fire in the oven, Fanny prepared breakfast, and Charlie started his chores outside. The children got up, and the family even had an overnight guest for Christmas, a relative, Sanders Lawson, who was Marion's son, so their nephew had spent the night in the house. This year, unlike most other years previous, the house really wasn't decorated for the holiday. There was no Christmas tree, but the whole family was excitedly, you know, waiting for Charlie's big Christmas surprise that he'd been promising for several weeks now. I mean, what could it be? Marie and Arthur had plans with a friend, a boy who was most likely a romantic interest of Marie's, who was supposed to pick them up later and take them to church. But first, Marie started to whip up her Christmas raisin cake, and when she was done, she sat down in front of her mirror to finger-wave her hair just the way she wore it in the infamous photo. It's, it's pretty great. 
Arthur and Sanders, they were on their way to Germantown uh, in order to get more ammunition. The men in the neighborhood had spent most of the morning playing target practice and had they'd run out of ammo. One of the friends stayed at the house to probably chat up Marie and Arthur and Sanders took off to run this errand. Maybell and Carrie were getting ready to go and spend Christmas with their uncle Elijah and his wife. I think Fanny wanted to get as many kids as possible out of the house so that there wouldn't be another terrible Christmas Day fight, Mm. which is terrible. Just as they went to put on their coats, Charlie came in and took a look at the people in the kitchen, Fanny helping the young ones put their coats on, Marie in front of the mirror with a bowl of water fixing her curls, and the neighborhood boy sitting at a table trying to chat with Marie. Charles Lawson said he needed to get something from the barn. He grabbed his black cat and he hurried off. In the barn, which was approximately 55 yards from the house, Charlie grabbed his 2520 Winchester rifle, a double-barreled 12-gauge shotgun, and a 12-gauge single-barreled shotgun, and then he hid behind the barn, waiting for Carrie and Maybell. He heard their voices coming closer as the two girls made their way to their Uncle Elijah's house. The path led them past the barn. Charlie stepped out from behind the building and raised his rifle, shooting 12-year-old Carrie in the head. While her sister fell to the ground, Maybelle screamed and turned, trying to run back to the house and safety. But Charlie, switching to the single-barreled shotgun, shot her in the back, hitting her fatally in the lungs. He picked up a piece of wood and began to bludgeon them in the head with it, until they showed no more signs of life. Then he dragged their lifeless bodies into the barn, where he laid them down, placing a stone under their heads and crossing their arms over their chests. Then he made his way back to the house where Fanny was on the porch collecting more wood for the stone. She must have seen her husband running toward her with his guns in his hands. He shot her in the chest, and half of her heart was destroyed by the blast. At least she didn't have to suffer, like Carrie and Maybell had. The shot startled Marie and the neighborhood boy, and they jumped up to look outside to see what was going on. When they realized what Charlie had just done, the boy took off running out the back door. Marie tried to come to her mother's aid, but she could only watch in horror as her father hit her mother in the head with the barrel of the gun. Then Charles Lawson came for Marie. She tried to fight her father, as his skin was underneath her fingernails, but to no avail. He shot her from such a close proximity that the impact of the shell snapped her neck. That left four-year-old James, two-year-old Raymond, and the little baby girl, Mary Lou, only four months old. James was hiding underneath his parents' bed where Charles must have found him quickly. He pulled his son out from under the bed and smashed his head with the butt of one of his guns. Then he searched for Raymond. He was hiding behind the kitchen stove, and there was no way to reach him or to point the gun at an angle to shoot him back there. So Charlie must have found some way to coax him out of his hiding spot, which is... That's the detail I think that's, like, the most upsetting to me. Like, he must Mm -hmm. have gained his son's trust enough for him to come out. Yep. And then he was also struck in the head several times, until he no longer moved. Then Charlie pulled Fanny inside the house, closing the door behind him. He picked up all the pillows from the beds in the house and placed one under each head of his victims, his family. I think how we know that uh, he must have been behind the stove is because they found his body like halfway. Mm. His his lower body was still lying behind the stove and, and you know, the upper part was... Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, no, he was half behind the stove and half not. Yeah, it's awful. So in the meantime, the neighborhood boy had run home to inform his family of what was going on over at the Lawson farm. But it looks as if they were not really sure on what to do, so they apparently did nothing. Which somehow I get, 
I mean, what what was there? It wouldn't have made a difference anyway, to be honest. It was not like they could pick up the phone, call the police, and somebody would have been immediately there, and right. it would have been too dangerous to go back there, right? Yeah. So I'm not judging them in any way. It's it's a horrible situation. Yeah. Over at the Lawson home, everything was quiet now. Too quiet for any farm, especially on Christmas Day. Uncle Elijah and his two sons had been out hunting that day and they wanted to stop over by the relatives. And they came closer to the farm and they saw it was eerily quiet and they were like, what's going on here? So they peeked inside the window and we can only imagine what they saw. A horrible scene, no blood, bodies everywhere. They even tried to open the entrance door, but it only opened a little bit because it was blocked by Fanny's feet. And then the men heard movement in the upstairs room indicating that someone was up there. Uh, so they decided to take off and get help as they couldn't be sure that it wasn't the perpetrator who was still in the house. The horrible news of what had happened spread like wildfire and it even reached Arthur in Germantown the moment he got there. That was a 15 minutes walk and I think the, the killing spree took 20 minutes. Yeah. So everything happened really quickly. Really quickly. People of course started to flock to the farmhouse but Elijah and his sons did something very smart something we often don't see in cases we cover. So what they did is they blocked everyone from entering the house and that's how they managed to preserve the crime scene until authorities could arrive, which took longer than it should have due to the snow on the roads. And I have to say, well done, Elijah. That was really smart. Absolutely. Soon after, Arthur and Sanders arrived back at the farm. Once they had heard what had happened, they had rushed home. And I think we can't even imagine what must have been going on in Arthur's head. After all those times, you know, all those times he had intervened when his father had had a violent outburst. And now he was just gone for a short while. On Christmas Day, I mean, he must have felt so much unwarranted survivor's guilt, right? Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I wonder whether the father timed it intentionally because he knew, mm. you know. That's what I was thinking because he was he was strong and he maybe Charlie was worried that he could overpower him. Right, exactly. Yeah. So authorities and the coroner had finally arrived and the bodies of Carrie and Mabel had been brought over to the house from the barn. And the house was roped off so that all the looky-loos couldn't go near. Yeah. It was horrible, just horrible. There were thick pools of blood and they were seemingly everywhere. I read that at one point the pools of blood were scooped up Oof. as much as possible and the blood was buried behind the house. But really the stains, they would never be removed entirely. There was blood everywhere. There were splatters of blood over the walls and over the furniture. Arthur was sitting in a rocking chair outside, covered in blankets in front of a bonfire that had been lit to keep him warm. And he was, of course, shaking and sobbing uncontrollably. Yeah. So they had Fanny, Marie, Carrie, Mabel, James, Raymond and Mary Lou. But where was Charlie? Either he was the one who did this or he was a victim of an attack as well and his body was also lying somewhere waiting to be discovered. So, after Charlie had placed pillows underneath his family member's head, he had grabbed his rifle and made his way through the snow over to a little wooded area where a bunch of pine trees were growing. The beagles, Sam and Queen, followed him, and there in the pine thicket, he decided he wanted to die by suicide, but it wasn't as easy as he had anticipated. He kept walking in circles. At one point, he must have tried to write a suicide note explaining why he had done this horrendous act. He took a receipt out and wrote on it, quote, troubles can cause and, quote, no one to blame but. But he never finished either of these thoughts or the note. 
Sam and Queen were patiently lying in the snow, and just, we want to let you know right now, the dogs are fine, nothing happens to the dogs. And then, around 5 p.m., so four or five hours after the murders, the crowd who had gathered on the property heard a single gunshot. It came from the direction of the pine trees. When a couple of men ran in that direction, from where the sound of the shot had come from, they could already hear Sam and Queen howling, which is awful. And then they found Charles Lawson. He had shot himself with the help of a twig to pull the trigger. On his body, they found the attempted suicide note and $60, which would be roughly 900 nowadays. So kind of a lot of money at the time. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. I mean, even for today, having $900. Right. Just like I mean, if you're not planning on going out or doing something, right? That's a lot of money to be carrying around, yeah. I personally think that this was meant for the funeral, maybe. Yeah. At least it was, they took it and they really covered the funeral costs with it. So I really think that that was actually Charlie's plan. That makes sense. To have money there. Yeah. That's even more disturbing, though, isn't it? Just how often he'd been thinking if he had done that in advance. I mean, it must have been at least partly the money that he withdraw from the bank, right? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they could see a deep circle. He'd just been walking in a circle, pacing for hours, and nobody doubted for a second that Charles D. Lawson had murdered almost his entire family and then shot himself. After the coroner had finished the first examination, the bodies were covered in white sheets and placed on a sled to take them to the hearses down by the road. Arthur had been brought to a neighbor's house. In the meantime, they were trying to spare the young man the image of his family being taken away. When Charles was examined, his skull was opened and the coroner took a closer look at his brain. There was no damage to the brain from the head injury that they could find. In White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, it says, quote, Before Charlie Lawson's body was prepared for burial, his skull was opened and his brain was removed for examination. Dr. Spotswood Taylor, a surgeon at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, was in the area visiting his brother, Sheriff John Taylor. He assisted Dr. Helsebeck in the examination. Their conclusion was that there was no evidence of physical damage to Lawson's brain from the blow he sustained from the mattock, but the brain itself appeared to have been undergoing a, quote, low-grade degenerative process. Dr. Helsebeck was quoted in the Winston-Salem Journal as saying, quote, The convolutions on the top of the brain near the middle vary from side to side from those on either side, end quote. In regular terms, there was an unusual spot in the center of Charlie's brain which was not proportioned to the rest of its shape. After their examination, the brain was sent to Johns Hopkins for further study. However, in a private interview many years later, Dr. Taylor indicated that there was actually nothing remarkable or unusual in the physical appearance of the brain. End quote. Only two days after the murders, on the 27th of December, 1929, the funeral took place, and three to 5,000 people were reported to be present when the family was put to rest in the family grave in the small Browder family cemetery in Germantown. The Browder family, by the way, had been the Lawson's landlords when they were still working the fields as sharecroppers after they arrived from Lawsonville. And now, get ready to get angry, because not only Fanny and the kids are resting in the grave with the big headstone, but also their murderer, husband and father, Charles D. Lawson, is spending eternity there next to his family that he so brutally murdered on Christmas Day, 1929. 
But we want to remember the victims of this horrible crime, Fanny and her children. To quote again from the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, quote, And what of Charlie's family, his wife and seven children? Less is remembered about the smaller children than Fanny, Arthur, and Marie. Carrie and Maybell are remembered as being better than average students at Germanton Elementary School. Twelve-year-old Carrie was a very neat and orderly child with straight brown hair and blue eyes. Maybelle, at seven years of age, was already aware of her striking good looks and loved to dress up and show off. She was quite feminine and described as being almost prissy. Four-year-old James and little blonde hair Raymond were extremely fun-loving and liked nothing better than to draw any unsuspecting person they could find into a bout of picking and cutting up. 17-year-old Marie was strong, large-boned, dark, and womanly. She had caught the eye of many the young men in the area. She possessed sultry good looks that were not unlike the actresses that were popular in the movies of that era. At 19 years old, Arthur Lawson had almost reached full manhood. He is remembered as being tall, healthy, and strong. The most memorable thing about this extremely handsome young man was his incredibly pale, gray-blue eyes, those eyes they say you would have had to experience in person to believe. There is little at all to know of Mary Lou except the image that has been recorded of her life in the family portrait. She had only just begun to experience life, end quote. Sad. I think they mixed something up here, though, in the book. Uh, I think Marie was 19 years old and Arthur was 17. He was the second born, but doesn't really matter. Did you know that they buried Mary Lou in her mother's arms? That's sad. People kept coming to the Lawson farm. They wanted to see the grisly murder scene. And one man was even reported to have offered $500, that's a lot of money, to be let into the house. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So very soon, Charlie's brother Marion realized that some money could be made if you would allow people to tour the house. So they started to sell tickets, which were 25 cents per person. And for this amount of money, people could walk through the house and over to the pine grove where Charles had ended his life. And what did they see in the house? Well, nothing really had been changed. There were still the blood stains on the floor. There was still the water bowl on the vanity that Mary had used to fix her curls. There was still the Christmas raisin cake on the table. And visitors started to pick the raisin off from the cake. Some probably wanted to eat them or keep them as a souvenir, but some even showed up for sale and they made up to five dollars per raisin. <laughs> it's this, yeah, raisin. It people, I mean, always been the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Marion, he bought a glass cover and it was placed over the cake to hinder the raisin thieves from scraping more off the cake. And for over five years, the house stayed open for tours and so many people came that it even wore down the stairs up to the children's bedroom. At one point, one of the deputy sheriffs of the area found a note on his front step that read, I love this part. Yeah. Quote, I came through today, but you didn't even recognize me. Signed, John Dillinger, <laughs> end quote. It's crazy. I don't know if that was a hoax. It's possible, but it's also very possible that the infamous bank robber and declared public enemy, number one, came to Germantown to take a look at the Lawson home, undetected in the, in the huge crowd. Yeah. So how much money was earned in those five years? Nobody knows anymore, but the debt was paid for the farm. Marion bought a sports car for his nephew Arthur and he handed him $31,000 in cash. Do not forget that this was a huge amount of money in the years of the Great Depression, right? Oh, yeah. 
I'd say it's safe to assume that Marion Lawson himself made quite some money with the tours. Yeah, yeah. It's good for Arthur to be out of debt and have so much cash on hand. Yeah. He's never going to heal or replace what was lost, especially in such a tragic way. But it helps if you're not grieving and also wondering how you're going to, you know, live. But I'm glad Marion gave the money to Arthur. I think if he hadn't, that would have been another <laughs> serious issue. Yeah. But it, it does seem like... He did his best, you know, to take care of his his family, his brother's family. And it seems like people were going to do what they did no matter what. So that family may as well get some financial security from it, right? Because, yep. I mean, the even going back further than this, the, the was it the first episode? Was Smutty Nose the first episode we did? Yeah. People were taking pieces of that house out for years. True, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really understand that. I mean, I guess I do, but also... People always want to hold on to something that makes them part of a story or part of history, yeah. right? Yep, that's true. That is true. And we really, really wish that we could tell you that Arthur found happiness and had a wonderful life, but we can't. So Arthur was married a few years after his father's killing spree, and he and his wife had four children, but the marriage was not a happy one, and the couple often argued, and eventually Arthur started to turn to alcohol to numb the pain and loss of his family. PTSD is not some modern new thing, right? It's not new. It's always mm -hmm. been around. Um, we just know more about it today. But back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, Civil War, can you imagine Civil War? Yeah. It was just a well-deal-with-it-mentality you know, and post-traumatic stress disorder wasn't even coined until the 80s, which isn't really that long ago when you're our age. True. <laughs> yeah. People knew about shell shock and combat neurosis, but trauma-related mental health issues have been going back ages. They're hard. So Arthur had started to work for his uncle Marion as a truck driver, And on the night of May 5th, 1945, Arthur was killed in a car accident. He didn't notice something in the road, and his truck swerved and went off the side of the highway. He was laid to rest only a few feet from the rest of his family at the Browder Family Cemetery. But we still don't know why Charles Lawson murdered his family on that Christmas day. And we're never really going to be able to say with 100% certainty why he did. But of course, there are rumors and theories. And so I think we need to just sort of quickly look into those. Mm -hmm. So many believe that the head injury had led to a brain damage uh, and that that brain damage had changed Charlie's behavior and temper for the worse. But as we said before, there is no real evidence from the examination that points to, into that direction. Maybe his brain was really starting to deteriorate though. Mm -hmm. Also, of course, an undiagnosed mental health issue is very likely. I mean... He had yeah. all these anger issues and violent outbursts. I think that's not far-fetched at all. No, it's not. Not at all. Even things like early onset Alzheimer's could cause this. There are so many different things mm -hmm. that can cause this. And we know they did examine his brain, but the thing I'm not sure of is how advanced neuroscience was at that time. Like, did they even know specifically what yeah, to look true. for? Would it have yeah. even mattered, you know? Because they found that one area that was off, right? That didn't look yeah. right. But what does that mean? Would they even have known? There's also another rumor that we have to mention. So some people believe that Marie was pregnant at the time of the murder and that the father was Charles Lawson himself. And the abuse is supposed to have occurred, well, I guess several times, but one time they mention is... Uh, when Fanny had to spend one week in the hospital uh, when Mary Lou was born. Yeah, and I think a lot of what you read mentions this. It, you know, there are things you'll read that say she confided in a friend who came out later and said, 
But I'd say, again, that's more an indication of Charles's abusive nature, right? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that would be the motive. Mm. So there are several relatives who apparently stated that Fanny had confided in them that Marie was pregnant. Yeah. And they also say that she's clearly pregnant in the infamous photo, which, I mean, it's possible. I don't think. If she looks pregnant in that photo, I'm fucked because... <laughs> Does she look pregnant in it? Is my vision just terrible lately? Because she doesn't look pregnant at all to Let's me. just say it's not impossible that she would have been pregnant. No, it's not impossible. Yeah. But it's it's not like she's got a visible baby bump. No, she doesn't have a baby bump showing. She might have just yeah, had a no. big breakfast. <laughs> but yeah, as you said, I don't know if this is a strong enough motive on its own. Maybe it's a whole combination I don't know. Uh, also, before mm. I forget it, there are also different versions of who made the raisin cake, if it was either Marie or, in fact, Fanny who made it, and what happened to it afterwards, because some say that Marion did bury it or burn it, or that he gave it to Arthur, and Arthur kept it in a drawer until his death. I really hope it's not the last one, because that... Mm -mm. I mean, it's sad I don't to know. keep this kind of... yeah. It's mm. so sad. It's... Yeah. Especially a cake seems like an odd choice of something to keep, right? Yeah. Like, as opposed to like a hair ribbon or I don't know. All right. Well, you know how much we love a good epitaph on a headstone. And so we're going to end this very sad episode with the epitaph that is on the Lawson family headstone, which reads, quote, Not now, but in the coming years, it will be in a better land. We'll read the meaning of our tears and then sometime we'll understand. End quote. I think... I think they, they think that they're going to understand why he did it on yep. the other side. Yep. But I don't know that this is ever the kind of thing you can understand, really. It's just, it's so sad. I really think it was a combination of several things, yeah. I think it was, Yeah. Uh, the main issue was a mental health problem. Obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he was also a, a reported to be a loving husband, often enough. Yeah, in the beginning, right? When Fanny was feeling very poorly when she was pregnant with uh, Mary Lou after the, she had a miscarriage before that and she had to, mm -hmm. to rest in bed and he really took care of her a lot. Mm. I think he must have had some sort of psychotic break. It yeah. just doesn't, something happened. Um, and we'll never know. That's just sad. Just remember that family. and I think it, he didn't snap. I think he, he planned it in some way. Oh yeah, I think something happened. Something happened in terms of mental illness that then yeah. continued to get worse, and it yeah. just spiraled and got worse and worse and worse. And this was the outcome. All right, should we talk about something good? Please. All right. It's this is a hard one for us lately. We're always like, "What's good? Has anything good <laughs> <Always>. happened?" <laughs> I know. I was finally actually able to watch the first two episodes of season four of The Crown last week, so that was kind of exciting. I'm enjoying that very much. I haven't even finished season three yet, but it's something that it's on my list to do over the holidays, you know, to binge The Crown. Gillian Anderson as Maggie Thatcher is it's pretty spectacular. So I hope Philip is on board to have me watch The Crown. He can play World of Warcraft in the meantime. <laughs> I'm sure he will be. So my something good this week is I purchased a massage gun. <laughs> I'm always super tense because of writing a lot on the laptop and also because I'm such a tense person, especially during this year, right? Yeah. I often suffer from back pain and pain in my neck and shoulders. And so my new goal is to be more able to relax, which seems counterintuitive, right? To set a goal to be relaxed. No, that's that's good. Yeah. 
So I bought a massage gun, a vibroplate, a yoga headstand chair, and a, a, a cosmic lamp. And uh, so far, I uh, I felt relaxed yesterday, and I don't have pain in my shoulders. So that's a plus. That's something good, right? Oh, yeah, that is good. I can't do the massage guns. I can't do really any kind of massage, but I get trigger point injections in that mm -hmm. area. Vibroplates are cool. There's like a big fair here called the Tops Field Fair. It's a big like agricultural county fair kind of thing. And every time we go, there's a vibroplate display in the and there's like a tent with all the as seen on tv stuff <laughs> that's my favorite place and we always wait till i'm starting to get really sore and then we go stand on the vibro plate for a little bit and then i walk around a little bit more that cosmic lamp you got is cool you sent me a little video of that and that looks nice yeah it's like these pictures that you see from the hubble telescope right yeah it looks like northern lights too. yeah you can it's also put really on pretty. northern lights yeah <laughs> so pretty so All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for, uh, I always say tuning in like we're a radio show, but it, again, I'm dating myself. But you're not having to actually like, you know, tune through the static to find us. <laughs> we can just play three minutes of static before the show starts. I mean, that's like we still say hanging up the phone. Yes. We don't hang up the phone anymore, but. No, you just press the button. Yeah, there are so many things like that. We're old. It's fine. We hope you're all doing well. Thank you again for listening, for writing the reviews that you write and telling your friends about us. Please come say hi in our Facebook group. If you just search Fresh Hell Murder, you'll find it. And it's a really active group. So if you only want to come in to look at the photos and the albums that we post, just turn off the notifications and then you can kind of go in when you want to be, you know, diverted. <laughs> Also, if you would like to join our Patreon, what's the content we offer on Patreon, Annie? It's it's not crime-related. No. Very chatty. So we have you guys pick a, a topic, and then we talk about it, uh, tell you yep. our thoughts about it. We talked about dogs, we talked about movie villains, we talked about time traveling. Yeah, we have to finish the movie villains. Yeah, now it's going to be episode. the second part of the movie villains. And then we have uh, like two little things planned for December before Christmas. And for yep. New Year's, we're planning to do a Q&A. So uh, send us your questions that you have for us and we might answer them. Yeah. And if you want to know how to join, just either go to our webpage, www.freshhellpodcast.com, and there you find the links to Patreon, to our postbox, to our merch store, or you go to Patreon and search Fresh Hell Podcast and we will pop up. There you go. Oh, and if you join one of the tiers, the highest tier, you get a very exclusive Hellion pin, if that's your kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, who isn't into that kind of thing, really? <laughs> As always, thank you so much. Please tell your tell your dogs and cats. And um, we actually had a lot of members lose their pets yeah. recently. That's always tough. We're thinking of you. And as always, if you're going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. See you next week.